So the last time I was up here ministering to you all, I used a scripture and I didn't get any further than faith is a substance. And it was like, wah, substance. (laughs) So I decided for today that I would look into faith and I would study a little bit on substance. So I just thought I would revisit the scriptures on faith and maybe I had a different understanding now than I had when I first came into the faith walk. I thought about a scripture that said that we bring forth the old things and the new, and I couldn't remember where it was, and I found one in Matthew, and I just like this because Jesus, he'd been talking to all the disciples, and he said, y'all getting what I'm saying? (laughs) My version. (laughs) Yes, yes, Lord. Of course, you know how it is, maybe. He's giving us this much. And yes, Lord, we're getting it. But then he says, I love this. He said, every teacher of the law or scribe, it might say in your Bible, who becomes a disciple in the kingdom of heaven. What? There's a change, maybe. is like the owner of a house who brings forth out of their storehouse the new things with the old the new with the old. And I thought, hmm, how about that, Father God? So we Christians, I say we, maybe me, have been walking in a way of faith since we came to know Jesus. I say a way of faith because in my case, at least, my way of faith has changed. When I came to understand the grace of God intimately, it helped me to figure out what had kind of gone wrong in my walk of faith. My faith was partially based on how perfect I was, how strong I was, or how I felt like I was in the Word, how perfect my righteousness was, or how much I confessed the Word. But I have come to understand that there is a difference between the old and the new covenants. Not that I didn't know that before, but I would read it all and, you know, you get to Matthew 23, you scribes and Pharisees, and I would just kind of take that into my heart. And it's like I learned there is a difference. Everything is there for us to learn from, but there is a difference. You know, and I just loved it because one of my favorite teachers that I listened to they'd made a list. This is what's under the law, and this is what's under grace. And it just kind of black and white to me. (laughs) And it helped me. It helped me. Wait a minute. I'm never, I've never been a scribe or a Pharisee. I just chose that because God loves me. He loves me. I'm his child. That helped me. I always felt like I had to be perfect. (laughs) Well, the law is there. And if you want to try it, (laughs) but you have to be 100% perfect, right? Oh, man. I tried to climb that ladder for a while. But, you know, you know how that goes. Jesus plus me, a little bit of me. (laughs) My works? Hmm. So when I came to know and believe in the finished work of Jesus, I realized that it's all the work of Jesus. It's his grace and his favor to me and nothing of me but to receive and believe all that Jesus had done for me was enough. To rest in his works and then be led by the Spirit that I didn't have to do, 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 do to check, 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 but 
I could rest in the Lord. I could walk by the power of the Holy Spirit. I could do as the Holy Spirit led me to do. I could walk in the new law of liberty in Christ Jesus. In Romans 10, 4, and this is out of the NIV, it says, Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Our faith, what we believe in. In the Passion, it says, for Christ is the end of the law. I like that. If you've ever ridden on a train to Chicago, you know, you get to, for us, we get to Antioch, it's the end. (laughs) You have to get off. (laughs) You have to get off. You have to go somewhere else. Christ is the end of the law. And because of Jesus, God has transferred his righteousness, his perfect righteousness to all of us who believe. So you've probably heard me say this before, but I do love the account of Abraham and Sarah, the marriage covenant, because it's a picture of faith and grace, and they both work together. And I like it as a picture. We've had a few pictures today, right, already? You know, Abraham, he's the father of faith, right? In Romans 4.16 in the NIV, it says, Therefore the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed ah, to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. He's our faith daddy. And then we got Sarah the mother of grace. In Galatians 4, through 26 NIV, it talks about Abraham having two sons, one by the slave woman, Hagar, the other by the free woman, Sarah. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. And the two women represent the two covenants. One covenant bears children who are to be the slaves, and that is Hagar. And the other one is, our mother is, but the Jerusalem that it talks about, that is above is free, and she's our mother. Therefore, we are not children of the slave woman anymore. Hallelujah, but we're children of the free woman. We're children of Sarah, the mother of grace. In Hebrews 11, the Hall of Faith, which, I don't know, that's always what I've heard it called, the Hall of Faith. You get to see what all these faith people do. It says this of Abraham and Sarah. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and he went, even though he did not know where in the world he was going. You ever felt like that? (laughs) By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs of him of this very same promise. For he was looking forward. I love that. He was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And then it speaks of Sarah this way. It says, and by faith, even Sarah who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him, God, faithful, who had made the promise to her. Hebrews 11.1, and New King James, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. 
I had to go back to the Strong's Concordance again and look up what faith meant. Persuasion. Faith is being fully persuaded. It's being fully persuaded. It's also conviction. Having full reliance upon Christ, Jesus Christ, for our salvation. And then it also said constancy, such as the gospel truth itself. So faith is assurance. It's being fully persuaded. It's believing. It's also said fidelity. I went to 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. It says here, In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I love this coming from Peter. I think he had a picture maybe of that or a knowledge of it. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, never spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for us who through faith, through being fully persuaded, through our reliance upon Christ, we are shielded by God's power unto the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In the Passion, it says it this way, Celebrate the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has shown us his extravagant mercy. Oh my gosh. And then it says, for his fountain of mercy. Now I'm going to talk to you a little bit today about pictures. Have you ever seen a fountain? It's bubbling, right? His fountain of mercy? Oh my gosh. For his fountain of mercy has given us a new life. We are reborn to experience a living, energetic hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We are reborn into a perfect inheritance that can never perish, never be defiled, and never diminish. It is promised and preserved forever in the heavenly realm for us. It is through our faith, again, being fully persuaded, that the mighty power of God constantly guards us until our full salvation is ready to be revealed in the last day. Hallelujah. So then I went to the second letter of Peter, and he starts out, and he says, to those, and this is 2 Peter 1, 1 and 2, it says, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, we have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. The Passion says, to those who have been given a faith. So we've been given, we received a faith. And it says, as equally precious as ours, through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace, this is the Passion, may grace and peace, perfect peace, cascade over you as you live in the rich knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So faith and grace bring peace, and they cascade. Now, I love words. I mean, do you all get a picture of Cascade? Oh my gosh, my picture was of Oregon. Oh, when we were there. I mean, the waters, have you ever seen waters? They just, they cascade one after another. And it's big, it's huge. There's Multnomah, there's the horsetail, I call it the ponytail falls. And can you hear it? Can you hear it? The water, it's beautiful. There's even one called the hole in the wall. <laughs> they have all kinds of waterfalls. We do here too. Not as many as Oregon, maybe. But we have faith and grace. 
It brings peace that cascades over us as we live in the rich knowledge of God. It also made me think of another scripture out of John, John 1, 16, that says, Out of God's fullness we have all received grace upon grace. And I heard somebody talk about that one time, and I can't get rid of that picture. Again, it's water. Have you ever been to the water, seen the waves? Grace upon grace coming to you. Grace, it's coming in the waves. Can you hear it? Can you hear it? Well, out of the Amplified, it amplified it just a little bit. (laughs) And it said, out of God's abundance, out of his fullness, we've all received grace upon grace, blessing upon blessing, favor upon favor, gift upon gift. Woo! We got cascading down. We got God piling up all of his gifts and all of his favor for us. Hebrews 11, 1 through 3 in the NIV says, Now faith is confidence. It's one of the things that substance meant was confidence. It's confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. So it is what is seen that was made, not out of what was visible. So how do we see? Do we see as God sees? This is the part of faith that wasn't preached to me, or I didn't hear the message. And I call it faith imaginations. I looked up imagination, and in the Strong's, imagination was only an Old Testament term. And most of the time, it was vain imaginations. But we have our imaginations by the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. So to me, faith has a lot to do with pictures. What we think when we meditate on the word, we get pictures. Don't need to imagine anything. Chair here, right? (laughs) Can you see this chair? Can you see it? I looked it up. There's 52 different kinds of chairs, but none of them were an airplane chair or a dentist chair. What kind of chair do you see here? Each one of you, you can tell me how to get to your house. What are you doing? You're picturing it in your mind, right? That's faith. That's a form of faith. You go down three trees and four, <laughs> four, four stores and turn left, and then you've got to go around the curve. You know, we have pictures. If I told you, hey, let's plan a trip to Orlando today, hey, wouldn't that be a good thing? <laughs> you know, can you see it? You might have to turn on your GPS, but you might see Indianapolis, then you might see... Louisville, then you might see Nashville, then you might see Atlanta. We have pictures. We meditate on the word. We visualize what God is or has been saying to us. Now, one thing on that, sometimes we have disappointed pictures in our mind from accidents, from disagreements, and they can bring fear, they can bring torment or unbelief, and it can affect our believing. We have to go back and we have to build ourselves up in the word and believe that God will help us to overcome the bad picture. And definitely, when the devil throws you a bad picture, (laughs) you can tell him, get out. You know, we don't have to meditate on bad pictures because we have authority. He's given us authority. We have the capacity to see things differently. Yep. 
We have the capacity to see things differently. How about the woman who was 12 years, she had the issue of blood. Something drastic was going on in her body. She'd been to doctor after doctor after doctor with no answers, and she'd used up all of her money, but she was looking for answers. She was expecting to be healed. She just hadn't found it in the natural world. She had found no hope there, but she had not given up. She had to have changed something. She must have heard about Jesus, how he was healing. Maybe she had a good friend that had been healed. Something caused her to get up because she went against tradition. She went against the Jewish rules for her to be out in the public. And then to receive her healing and for Jesus to tell her daughter, your faith, your faith. What we fully believe in has made us well. Again, in Hebrews 11.1, 1, the King James Version says, Now faith is the substance. Okay, so I had to go and look up what does substance mean in the Strong's. Hupostasis. It meant a setting under, a support, or an essence or assurance. And it gave a couple of words. Confidence person, substance. Substance is a support of things hoped for. So I was like, well, what is a substance? You know, immediately I thought about chemistry. <laughs> you put this one together and this one together, and voila! <laughs> Better be careful what you're putting together. Anyway, I went to Genesis <laughs> to find out what, what God says about it. And uh, Genesis 7, verse 4, and again, this is King James Version, because it specifically says substance. For yet seven days, and I will cause it to rain upon the earth forty days and forty nights. And every living substance that I have made, I will destroy. But that word there, living substance, was every living creature. Substance. God gave substance. It was things that he had made. So that made me think of our old friend, Jacob. <laughs> Remember Jacob? He had swindled his birthright right away from Esau, from his daddy on the deathbed, right? By help with stew made by his mama. <laughs> and then he ran far, far away because she said, or maybe he heard Esau say, I'm going to kill you. So he ran, 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 and he ran right into the land that would be his promise through Abraham. He laid down there and took a little stone. He's going to sleep through the night, and God gave him a dream, right? God didn't say, you, <laughs> you scoundrel. God didn't name all of his, you know, what he had done, you deceptive little thing. He didn't do that. It's not recorded. What did he say? He said, I'm going to give you the promise. I'm going to give you this very land that you're laying on tonight. I'm going to do it. I'm going to make you prosperous. Okay. He gets up in the morning. You know, he makes a vow to God. He says, wow, this is a great thing. I'm just going to use this stone right here, and I'm going to make myself a little memory of where I am and all that God's going to do for me. And then he runs on to Uncle Laban. <laughs> I looked it up. I always call him Laban, but it's really Law. <laughs> uncle Laban to his mama's uncle, where they told him to go and look for a wife. So he goes running over there, and he goes up to, well, where does everybody meet in the olden days? 
they meet at the well with the sheep, right? So he goes and he asks them, hey, do you guys know? Do you know anything about Uncle Laban? <laughs> oh yeah, we know him. <laughs> and what happens? But here comes Laban's daughter, Rachel. The most beautiful thing that he had ever seen. And so he says, here, I'll help you because they weren't going to open up the water. They weren't going to roll the stone away until all the little sheep got there. So Jacob says, you know what? I'll help you. I'll water him down. Hey, and you know what? He kissed her on the first day. He kissed her. Oh my gosh. You know, we think we read the Bible. <gasps> what do we think we find? Sometimes we think everybody in there is perfect. <laughs> no, they're just like us maybe, huh? <laughs> me. <laughs> okay, so now Rachel took him home to daddy, right? He's going to meet Laban. And it only took him a month to work out a deal. Woohoo! Wow. Uh, you know, in the olden days, they had to pay, you know, something for a bride. Well, mm -hmm, they worked out a deal. I get Rachel. I'll only work seven years. No problem, because when you love somebody, you can do anything, right? But really, uh, we're talking about pictures tonight. I don't know how in the world, in the natural, I mean, how could you get married to someone and then wake up in bed with someone else? I just don't get it. The only thing that I get is when we are in deception, when we are in deception, we don't see what in the world is going on clearly. That's the only picture I got. I get out of that. <laughs> you know, but he goes back to Laban and he said, uh, hmm, what else here? <laughs> I want Rachel. Now, I always thought he had to work another seven years in order to get her, but what it says, whoo, he got a two for one right then. Yeah, don't you think Laban was like happy? <laughs> you know, maybe he was thinking, wow, you know, nobody really wanted the first one, so now I'm getting paid for that one, so whoo, whoo, I'm going to hear 14 years. Whoo, that's a long time. So he agreed for another seven years to work for his beautiful Rachel, and so they had children, but as soon as Joseph come along, then he decided to go back. This is after 14 years, and he says to Laban, he said, send me on my way. I thought it was interesting here. Send me on my way so I can go back to my own homeland. God had been talking to him. Give me my wives and children for whom I have served you, and I will be on my way. You know how much work I have done for you. But Laban said to him, well, if I have found favor in your eyes, please stay. <laughs> I like your work. <laughs> and in the NIV it says, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. And then he added, well, just name your wages and I will pay them. And Jacob said to him, now you know how I have worked for you and how your livestock, how your substance all the livestock, has fared under my care. The little that you had before I came has increased greatly. The Lord has blessed you wherever I have been. But now, when can I just do something for my own household? And Laban says again, well, what shall I give you? Jacob replied, don't give me anything. Don't give me anything? Don't give me anything? Wow, 14 years. Don't give me anything, but if you will do just this one thing for me, I will go on tending your flocks and watching over them. This is Jacob. Let me go through all your flocks today and remove from them every speckled, spotted animal and all the dark-skinned, dark-colored lambs 
and the same with the goats. They will be my wages, and my honesty will testify for me in the future. Whenever that you check on the wages that you have paid for me, any goat in my possession that is not speckled or spotted, or any lamb that is not dark will be considered mine. Now, if I got my colors down, I would say what he was wanting, he was wanting any animal that was anything other than white, right? Okay, so, well, who needs the white ones? There's maybe a little bit of money in the white ones because they all need lambs, right? And I would say, if it was me, there was probably a whole lot of white ones and, you know, who knows how many of the other. Because I would think that Jacob would wanting to be, you know, leaving a big amount for Laban. And the other thing, when I looked up Laban, his name means white. And he's got the white animals. And then it made me think, I didn't look this up, but I want to say it might be Matthew 23. It might be about you, <laughs> you Pharisees, you Sadducees. You're whitewashed on the outside, but what you got on the inside? Maybe that was a little bit like Laban. Anyway, Laban agreed. He said, let it be as you have said. And so then it goes on, it says, that same day, Laban removed all the male goats that were streaked and spotted and all the speckled and spotted female goats and all the dark lambs, he placed them all in the care of his sons and he put a three-day journey just to know that, Jacob, you're not getting any, though. everything that you asked for, now he's left. He's left with only Laban's white ones. Man, he wanted a, just one thing, just one thing. And Laban couldn't do it for him, could he? And then it goes on to tell what he did, but you have to go a little further way down to the day where he did decide, I say the day, it took him six more years because it was in year 20 that he called out his two wives when, of course, Laban had gone every year, they got to go and shear the sheep. So then they go out to the hills. Okay, so Jacob picked that particular time to call his wives and all his kids out to where he was. And when he was there and he was telling them, I've worked for your daddy 20 years, he said there, I had a dream. I had a dream that there were speckled animals and they were all mating together. So I believe that God had given him this dream about what to do, how to go about something. Now you might say, you know, did he have faith? I think he had faith. He was hearing God and God was showing him what to do. He had a picture in his mind. So what did he do? It says he took branches from all the different kinds of trees and he made white stripes on them. I love this. I guess I love it because I'm a farmer. <laughs> I'm a farmer's daughter. <laughs> but, you know, they have to go drink water. I looked up to drink five gallons of water, these sheep drink in a day. But, you know, so you're plodding your way to the water. And here's all these sticks that he's, you know, made specks on them, made stripes on them. What are they looking at? They're looking at the branches. They're all colored, even though they're all white. Then he placed the peeled branches in all the watering troughs so that they would be directly in front of the flocks when they came to drink. And when the flocks were in heat and came to drink, they made it in front of the branches. 
and they bore young that were streaked. White, they're all white. But what did they bear? Speckled and spotted animals. He made separate flocks for himself, and he did not put them with Laban's animals. Whenever the stronger females were in heat, Jacob would place all the branches in the troughs in front of those animals so they would mate near the branches. But if the animals were weak, I think he must already kind of had them in different groups to me, but I don't, I don't know. If the animals were weak, he would not place them there. The weak animals went to Laban, but the strong ones he put in front of the branches that were colored, and so they brought forth what they were seeing. What are we seeing? When we see something that God gives us, a picture, as we meditate, God can bring it forth. So Jacob, it says, he grew exceedingly prosperous and came to own large flocks and female and male servants and camels and donkeys. Yes, it did take him an extra six years, but he got to that point where he was ready to leave. Anyway, that's my little picture of the Old Testament faith. Okay, so now I want to go to the New Testament. Okay, so that was substance. That was living creatures. It was a lot of them. If you go into Proverbs, it talks a lot about things being prosperous. There's a lot on substance that God does for us. But now we go to the New Testament, and still faith is the substance. But in Hebrews 1, verses 2 through 4, and this is the King James, it is the same Greek word used for substance here. But it says, God hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed, heir of all things, by whom he has also made the worlds, this Son Jesus being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, the express image of God. I mean, it says it right here. And upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So, in the image of the person, that substance, it's the same word. God, Jesus. So, I just love that. How do we get our faith then? In Romans 10, verses 6 through 10, it says, But the righteousness that is by faith says, The word is near you. It is in your mouth and it's in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. For if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess, we profess our faith and we are saved. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the word and the message is heard through the word about Christ. It doesn't say about God, it says about Jesus Christ. If you just go to John 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. 
Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. For in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has never overcome it. Further down it says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth that brings peace cascading to us, right? (laughs) Then further down it says, out of his fullness, this is verse 16 through 18, out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is Love this, who is himself God, another evidence, another scripture, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. You know, it's important to have the word in us, but what God wants us to walk in faith is that relationship with him. He wants relationship with us. Going on in Romans Three verses 23 to 25, it says, This righteousness of God is given through faith, being fully persuaded in Christ Jesus to all who believe. There is no difference between the Jew and the Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Haven't we all heard that? But there's an and there. <laughs> there's an and. It's a powerful and. All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by us by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness to us. Faith righteousness. So now I just have to go to talk a little bit about Peter and John. They're going to the temple one afternoon, right? Three o'clock. They go every day. What, at nine and three? They're going for a little prayer session? (laughs) Well, here was a a totally different day because they got outside the temple. The one version says they were captured. The Passion says they were captured by the man who was lame from birth. They were captured. They saw him with his eyes. He was looking up. This man was brought every day to the gate, beautiful. He'd been brought every day to beg. The man noticed Peter and John, and he begged for money. But both Peter and John said, look at us. (laughs) Look at us. They knew. I mean, he was looking. He was in an expectant mode. Can you guys think about doing this? Somebody's sitting out here for the last four or five years, and suddenly we look at him and say, look at me. (laughs) Then Peter says, you know what? I don't have any money, but what I have I give to you by the name, by the power of the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Stand up and walk. And wow, how precious the Holy Spirit. The man was lame from birth. He had never walked, and Peter says, stand up and walk. You know, we think Peter's kind of mealy-mouthed, but you know, know, Jesus must have had a little meeting with him because I think he's strong here. Peter says, stand up and walk. Peter held out his right hand to the crippled man. Can you imagine? 
Marty and Dave doing that? I mean, and coming in here for our 10 o'clock. Whoa, here's this man who's been sitting here forever. And what's he doing? As the man came up on his feet, it says suddenly power surged into his crippled feet and his ankles, and the man jumped up, but he stood there for a minute stunned. <laughs> he had never walked before. So we bring him in to, you know, have a little service here. You know, don't you think he, uh, as he went into the temple courts with Peter and John, he leapt for joy and he shouted praises to God. Don't you think they had a little bit of electricity going in there, the power of the Spirit? Oh my gosh, when all the people saw him jumping up and down and heard him glorifying God, they realized, this is the crippled man. <laughs> this is the beggar we've all passed by out at the front of the gate. Astonishment swept over the crowd, for they were amazed over what had happened to him. They were dumbfounded over what they were witnessing. So, you know, when it was all done, they ran over to Peter and John. Notice there was a crowd. There was a crowd. Wow, what is going on? They were still in the temple. But they were all then astonished to hear what Peter begins to tell them because he starts to tell them, I'm not going to go through his whole thing, but he starts to tell them, you know, Jesus was around here. He did all this stuff just like we're doing. In Acts 3, 15 and 16, he says, But God raised Jesus from the dead, and we stand here today as witnesses to that fact. Faith in Jesus' name has healed this man standing before you. It is the faith that comes through believing in Jesus' name that has made this crippled man walk here, right in front of your eyes. You can't deny it anymore. And so Peter continues to preach to the crowd of Jews, telling them many things. And of course, this makes the religious people Maybe a little mad. <laughs> Going on, Acts 4, 1 through 4. It says, The teaching and preaching of Peter and John angered the priests, the captain of the temple police. This is out of the Passion. The representatives of the Jewish sects of the Sadducees. It was another crowd. They believed something different, right? Okay, they were, y'all know this one, right? They were Sadducees because they were sad, you see, because they did not believe, right? Mm -hmm. They were furious that the people were being taught that in Jesus' name there is a resurrection from the dead. I think Peter taught that everywhere he went after he had seen Jesus resurrected. While Peter and John were still speaking, though, the Jewish authorities came into the temple courts to oppose them, and they had them arrested. And since it was already evening, they just kept them in custody and jail overnight. Yet, there were many in the crowd who believed the message to the point, the total number of men, it said, was 5,000 over just one leading by the Holy Spirit. What do you think you can do? God wants to do through you more than you might realize. It was just one man out there. He had this click, get up, 5,000 people. But don't you know those men were all in a tizzy? It says there were many of them, and they planned for the meeting the next morning, and they made Peter and John come before them to answer their questions, and they said, now tell us by what power and authority... 
you all are doing this stuff. And out of the passion, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, says, what, are we being put on trial today for doing an act of kindness by healing a frail, crippled man? Well then, you and everyone else in Israel should know that it is by the power of the name of Jesus Christ that this crippled man stands here today completely healed. You crucified Jesus Christ, but God has raised him from the dead. This Jesus is the stone that you, the builders, have rejected, and now he has become the cornerstone. There is no one else who has power to save us, for there is only one name to whom God has given authority by which we must experience salvation, and that is the name of Jesus. Well, that really irritated the religious crowd, and because they realized Peter and John were sounding just a little bit about like Jesus, don't you think? Jesus is already gone. Actually, it says they were astonished, and they realized these men were not trained in the law. So what could they say, especially since the beggar, <laughs> who'd been begging for many years, was standing right there, completely healed. He was standing with them. What could they say? Well, they sent Peter and John out of the room so they could come up with a plan. Well, what was their plan? We'll just silence them with threats against them, right? You don't use the name of Jesus ever again, they told them. Never. How would you like it if we had that? They thought they were going to control the crowd. Don't you go preaching no more about Jesus. In Acts 4, 19 and 20, again, it's out of the passion. Peter and John replied, well, you can judge for yourselves. Is it better to listen to you or to God? It's impossible for us to stop speaking about the things that we have seen and heard. As soon as Peter and John were finally released, they went home to their crowd. <laughs> they went home to their believers, and they explained everything that had happened with the high priest and the elders. And when the believers heard their report, they prayed. Part of what they prayed is they went back, and they it, it doesn't really say that here, but I know it because we have a friend that made the song <laughs> from Psalms 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? Plotting in vain is imagination. It's the only place that the New Testament uses imaginations. But it goes back to Psalms 2. And I'm going to read what they prayed, but if you read, it's not that long, the first four verses of it. It sounds a little bit like what is happening here. They're praising God, but then they're going back and they're quoting this from Psalms 2. This was what David wrote. David was a thousand years before Jesus, but he had written, and they're praying, Lord Jesus, you are the Lord of all. You created the universe, the earth, the sky, the sea, and everything that is in them. And you spoke by the Holy Spirit through your servant David, our forefathers, saying, how dare the nations plan a rebellion, ranting and raging against the Lord Most High. Their foolish plots, their imaginations are futile. Look at how the kings of the earth take their stand with the rulers, scheming, conspiring together against God and his anointed. It's been something that has been in place forever, and we can go to Psalms 2, and it sounds the same. 
but then they go on in their prayer. In fact, Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Jews and the non-Jews, they met together to take their stand against the Holy Servant, Jesus the Messiah. They did to him all that your purpose and will had determined according to the destiny you had marked out for them. But now, Lord, listen to their threats against Peter and John and against us. Listen to their threats, Lord. Their threats to harm us. Well, Lord, we're just going to pray, empower us as your servants to speak the word of God freely, that we can speak freely and courageously. Stretch out your hand of power through us to heal others and to move in signs and wonders by the name of your holy son, Jesus. And it goes on to say, as they prayed, the earth shook beneath them, causing the building they were in to tremble. Each one of them was filled with the Holy Spirit, and they proclaimed the word of God with unrestrained boldness, and all the believers were of one mind and heart. So, it's important how we think. In the Old Testament, it, what, like what I said, with imaginations, Without the Holy Spirit, man can dream up of all kinds of things. Okay, but with the Spirit, we're agreeing with Jesus. What's it say? It says, for as Jesus is, so are we. We think differently. We think differently by the power of the Holy Spirit. Here were the leaders of the law that were adamantly angry with Peter and John to tell them you cannot use the name of Jesus. But what a powerful name we have power and authority that brings complete and full healing to the body of that man there, but to us too, and that they could see with their very eyes. So again, like you heard me say, there were two groups of people, two crowds, the people of the law of Moses versus the believers in Christ Jesus. But their thinking had changed forever because once you see the light, of the grace of God, Jesus, we cannot go back to live in the rules of legalism in the Old Testament. We walk by faith. We walk knowing the substance of the living person of Jesus Christ, thinking like him, believing in him, running and leaping and praising the Lord. Jesus has redeemed us from any of our wrong thinking. A couple more, the scriptures, Hebrews 10, 22, and this is the NIV. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to what? Cleanse us from a guilty conscience. We don't ever have to be guilty ever again. We don't have to be, shame and guilt have no place in me ever. You try to come against with me? No, I will not. A lot of people like to rule by guilt. Christians, no. It says our hearts are sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. Didn't we hear that earlier today? Thank you, Jesus. Hebrews 3.14, and this is the New King James Version. It says, for we have become partakers of Christ. If we hold the beginning of our confidence, we hold it steadfast to the end. We hold on to faith. We walk by faith. Faith is our confidence. Faith is the substance of things hoped for with Jesus in us. My prayer is, Lord, 
since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and we speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. And all of this is for our benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Well, thank you, Lord, for your grace and for your faith that brings peace cascading waters of peace and gifts of favor to each and every one of us. Thank you, Lord, that in spite of everything that's going on, that we do not lose hope. Though outwardly we may be wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. For what do we do, Lord? But we fix our eyes on you. We fix our eyes not in what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is only temporal, but what is unseen is eternal for us. Oh Lord, we pray that the faith we share in the grace of God may be effective in deepening our understanding of every good thing that we share for the sake of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father God, for bringing forth the old with the new. Thank you, Father God, for understandings and revelations, Father God, of who you are. And now to you, Lord, you are able to establish us according to the gospel, according to the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for a long time past, but now has been disclosed to us. It is made known to all the generation. It leads us to an obedience of faith, Father God, that we walk in the faith of Jesus. We thank you, Father, for the faith of Jesus that we walk in. And to the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory forever and ever. And thank you, Lord, that we are, we are seated in the heavenlies with whatever your seat is up there, Father God. Thank you, Father God, that faith is a substance of things hoped for. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is Mark Testerman, Senior Pastor of Triumphant Grace Ministries. I want to say thank you for listening to the finished work gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that the good news found throughout the message has richly encouraged you in the love of the Father. Friends, this podcast is supported by the generous financial support of its listeners. And if today's message has ministered to you, then would you consider a gift that ministers back to us? You can text the word GIVE, G-I-V-E, to 833-632-1315, or you can visit triumphantgrace.com and donate through PayPal or credit card. The cornerstone scripture for Triumphant Grace Ministries is found in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Great grace, such grace, triumphant grace to you. God bless you.